Welcome to the Sustainable Nano Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Kraus. Today's episode is number 37, which is hard to believe. Even more amazing is that it is the first episode of our fifth season. Speaking of which, uh, as I'm recording this, I just heard that N.K. Jemison was named as one of this year's MacArthur Fellows, so I have to say that I don't mean that kind of fifth season, although given how 2020 has gone, maybe you disagree. Uh, if you haven't read the Broken Earth trilogy yet, I give you permission to stop listening to this podcast right now and go check it out. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But speaking of MacArthur Fellows, I was super excited to see that Paul Danhauer, Professor of Chemical Engineering and Materials Science at the University of Minnesota, was also recognized as a fellow this year. Professor Dan Howard did an interview for our podcast back in 2017 about his work on making isoprene, which is one of the key materials in car tires, from biomass instead of petroleum. So congratulations, Dr. Dan Howard, and uh, I encourage all of you to go back and listen to that interview again. So now on to today's episode, uh, we have an interview all about nanodiamond. Zach Jones, a graduate student in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, is doing some really cool work with fluorescent nanodiamond, figuring out new ways to get images of nanoparticles inside organisms. Our interviewer for this episode is Zach's lab mate, Paige Kinsley, who you may remember from our last episode, all about improv comedy and science communication. So without further ado, here is Paige Kinsley interviewing Zach Jones. Hi, my name is Paige Kinsley, and I'm a graduate student in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology. Um, and today I'm interviewing Zach Jones about the research that he does as a part of the center. So, Zach, will you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Paige. Uh, I am Zach Jones. I am a, I'm actually starting my fifth year in graduate school, uh, which is terrifying to say sometimes. But uh, I am a chemistry graduate student. In the, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, also a member of the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology. Thank you so much. So the first thing I want to ask is, like, why did you get into chemistry in the first place? Or science, I guess, if, if you want to start with that. Yeah, uh, well, so that's a, that's a complicated question with probably many different angles to it. Uh, I think early on in my life, I was always sort of interested in how things work and would poke around and pretend to build a robot at my house, uh, which maybe would have led me to an engineering uh, path, but eventually I uh, started taking some chemistry courses in high school that I kind of liked. I uh, had, a, had a good teacher, as so many of us who keep going in chemistry do, uh, that encouraged me to keep going, and, and I think I just kind of found a love for, for learning the, the details about how things work at a very small level. I find that very interesting, and it's something that always engaged me, so I wanted to keep doing it. I think that's a very common story for a lot of people who decide that science is the next the next step in school. So um, what we, I want to ask you about today is sort of the work that you're doing in the center and specifically um, the sort of the tools that you're building. So what is your project right now? What are you studying? I am studying the use of nanomaterials called diamond, uh, diamond nanomaterials that are fluorescent. And we use those diamond nanomaterials as tools to analyze where nanomaterials might go within organisms. So specifically, we look at a model system called C. elegans, and these C. elegans will eat the diamond, and we are building microscopy tools to be able to understand how we can locate and, and selectively identify these diamond nanomaterials within this model organism that we use. So why would we want to know where nanomaterials are in 
something like C. elegans. And C. elegans, if I remember, is like a, essentially like a worm, right? It's like a see-through worm. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a it's a nematode, uh, which it, it looks like a little worm. It's maybe a millimeter or two big, and it usually lives sort of around the soil of freshwater. So we look at the location of diamond in these materials as sort of a proxy for what might happen to nanomaterials broadly or other kinds of nanomaterials. And I think as listeners to this podcast probably uh, probably know, we're interested in sort of what happens to nanomaterials upon release to the environment. And one big part of that is is knowing where they go. Because if we know where they go, we can sort of start to understand what they might be interacting with. And, and we think about that at every level. So sort of environmentally, you know, we, we talk about different water systems that a nanomaterial might go to. But within an organism, it's also important to think about what organs a nanomaterial might be sort of collecting in, if they associate with any of the organs at all. And, and all of that sort of comes together to build more information about what happens to these nanomaterials. So why can't, like, I know nanomaterials that we talk about a lot in the center are like battery nanomaterials, right? Things that we might find in like lithium-ion batteries. Why can't we just find those? What, like, what makes it hard to find those versus like using diamond? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And, and, you know, sort of the motivation behind a lot of what I do is that, so by definition, nanomaterials are very small and they are so small that it's, it's impossible to see with the naked eye and actually very difficult to see even with microscopes. So there are other episodes of this podcast that talk about using electron microscopes to see things that are very small. And those are useful for seeing things like battery nanomaterials, but they're also very expensive and and not always super easy to use and usually require killing the organisms. So we're interested in, in looking at things like fluorescence, which is a property of some nanomaterials that allows them to sort of emit light and that fluorescence lets us find them in areas that we might not otherwise find them with tools that we might not otherwise be able to use. So you said that the material that you're interested in is diamond. So when I think about diamond, I think about um, like jewelry or something that like you give to someone you want to marry, right? What what do you think about when you say diamond? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well I, I, you know, I make a research living giving diamond to worms, and I do not want to marry these C. elegans, so... So I have a little bit of a different concept, I think. So, so right. So yes, most people, when when you hear diamond, you think about jewelry. Diamond is actually sort of at its at its base a crystal structure. So a way that atoms form into a solid. It's a geometry. So when carbon does that, it it becomes this uh, this gemstone that we think of diamonds. I tend to think about diamonds as sort of like very thin, clear films because that's the the form that we use it in. So, so we actually have the ability to synthesize diamonds, to make diamonds into these thin films or into nanomaterials. And, and that's really, it's sort of a different way of thinking about it than the gemstone form of diamond and, and often are made sort of in very different ways. So you talk about like you taking advantage of fluorescence in diamond. Is that, is, is all diamond fluorescent in the, in the way that you're using it? Or is it sort of a unique property to what you're using? That's a great question. It is a unique property to a defect in diamond. So defects are very common in diamond. It's actually, when you see diamonds that have color to them, they are caused by defects within the diamond. And there's there's tons of different types of defects, which usually are either atoms missing from the diamond lattice or atoms being added to the diamond lattice. In my case, I look at defects called the nitrogen vacancy center. So that's a defect in which one carbon is taken out of the diamond lattice 
um, and a nitrogen is added in next to that vacancy site. And this defect is, is very unique. Uh, it has a lot of super interesting properties that, for one thing, make it fluorescent. So there, there are some, there are more than just one fluorescent diamond defect, but MV centers are especially interesting for sort of a boatload of reasons. And, and, and one of those is that it, it is fluorescent and actually has sort of fluorescence that can be changed by applying magnetic fields, which is actually the nature of my research. Oh, how cool. That seems a little bit crazy. I guess like what, how, how do you take advantage of that really, really cool, weird property? We feed C. elegans these diamond nanoparticles, and these diamond nanoparticles have these defects in them that are fluorescent. So we use fluorescence microscopes, ways of ways of looking at fluorescence within these organisms, and we apply a magnetic field to these C. elegans that have diamond in, on the inside. So we can control the amount that the diamond is fluorescing. In doing so, it allows us to find diamond in sort of very complex, bright backgrounds that might otherwise be difficult. Oh, wow, that seems like pretty powerful. What problems are you trying to solve with this really cool tool? So, I mean, fundamentally, the thing that we're trying to get at is, is there a way that we can look at this diamond reliably in an organism? So, so many organisms have, have tissue that will absorb light and scatter it. So, so that sort of creates a background in which it's hard to see other things glowing. Many organisms have molecules that themselves will fluoresce so the organism itself will sort of naturally give off light and all of those things make it very difficult to find a very small particle that's fluorescent but if we can control that fluorescence then then we can start to locate diamond in these in these sort of super complex backgrounds i think uh, an analogy that that we can use which I don't, you know, who knows how good an analogy this is it's a little bit simplified but uh, but i think it's a good mental picture um is if if, if you sort of Imagine a wall of light bulbs. You have like, I don't know, 100 or 200 light bulbs on this wall, and you're standing 50 feet away from the wall. It's really difficult for, for me to say, okay, pick light bulb number 37 or whatever. You know, we, we pick one light bulb we want to find, and that would be very difficult because you're standing far away from the wall, the, the light bulb's very small, and there's a bunch of other light bulbs nearby glowing. But if we say, here's this switch, you can turn on and off this light bulb, and, and all of the other light bulbs won't be affected. This is a way in which you could you can sort of controllably turn on and off this light bulb and see okay well that's where the light bulb the light's changing there uh, so that's actually probably the light bulb that I'm looking for and it's very similar to what we do with these magnets right we turn on and off a magnet while we're imaging these worms and the diamond fluorescence changes when we do that so in doing so we can sort of locate okay here is where diamond is to some level of being reliable and because none of the other things that might be fluorescent in in the worm or whatever system are going to be affected by the, the magnet, right? Essentially, it gives you a switch just the diamond and nothing else. Right. Yes. That's why that's the, the when we so when I say selective imaging, that's what I mean. Selectively uh, turning on and off the diamond. I feel like this seems like something that could be applied for a lot of different things maybe besides just like finding diamond in worms. Are there other uses of this like nitrogen vacancy diamonds that that are being used in like broader research oh absolutely i am not the only one that that finds envy centers uh super cool so yeah there's 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 many different fields uh that are finding envy centers and diamond useful lots of people find them useful for similar reasons that we do for imaging so so you can look into sort of imaging in different biological systems even medical imaging is possible it turns out that these sort of magnetic field effects 
the physics that drives them makes NV centers very sensitive to many things, including magnetic fields, but also sort of very specific molecules will change the fluorescence as well. Radio frequency fields will sort of align with the NV center in a way where if they meet a resonance condition, so if the energy of the wave coming in is the same as that in the NV center, that will also change the fluorescence. So all of these things are, are useful for what's called quantum sensing. Oh man, quantum. That seems like a fancy word. Yeah, we do love to throw around quantum as a buzzword, but in this case it really is it is a quantum effect and also, you know, sounds cool. Which is really the most important thing when we're doing science. Does it sound cool? Right, yeah, yeah. Well, when you're choosing a project at the beginning of graduate school, they sort of have you rank a list of what sounds coolest. Yep, yeah. Because really, what's the point of doing research but just to sound, like, essentially be able to tell your parents that you're doing really interesting things with diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all just a bunch of show-offs. <laughs> you said that diamond could be used in medical imaging. In what, like, in the same manner that you would use it in with your nematodes or something different? There's actually two main ways that it can be used. One is, is similar to what we do, where you use fluorescence and, and actually try to find diamond within an organism or, or a large organism like, say, a human. Or, uh, again, because of the magnetic properties of diamond, it makes it um, an interesting sort of contrast marker. Um, it responds to magnetic fields, so it allows people to do what's called NMR, nuclear magnetic resonance, on a very small scale using these NV centers and, and nuclear magnetic resonance is based, it's the same technology behind what most people probably have heard of is magnetic resonance imaging or MRI. So in a way, sort of imaging the magnetic fields present within a body become possible to a much smaller scale to the nanoscale using something like an NV center. So it's like it's nano MRI. Yeah, yeah cool. I feel like the idea of nanotechnology in the movies is like we have robots in our bodies, which is not at all how it works. But this is like getting closer to that a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it starts to feel a little sci-fi when you start talking about these things. We don't have we don't have these robots, which is probably for the best, if you ask me. But we can do nano MRI. That's super super cool. So, are there any other cool applications that you get jazzed over when you're talking about nano diamond? Oh, well, uh, not nanodiamond specifically, but diamond with NV centers is talked about as being used for quantum communication. Again, we're throwing around the quantum buzzword. Uh, and this is, I mean, this is something that not being a physicist, uh, I only have a very baseline understanding of, but sounds very cool. So some people may have heard people talk about quantum computers and quantum internet, but basically using quantum states of materials to transfer information and and nv centers are sort of one of the materials that are, are of interest for this field because it can do these types of sort of quantum communication relays so what would the advantage of like the quantum computing quantum information be versus regular i feel like i've heard about this and then i never actually entirely understand what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i feel i feel very similarly quantum communication and also quantum computing definitely in theory offers a lot more power in terms of very difficult problems even impossible problems relatively quickly especially compared to a classical computer and, and i don't know i mean so that's about as far as i get <laughs> with my knowledge of it but it's something that that lots of people are very interested in so my last question i think is maybe the most important there's a very famous song it's very good called Shine Bright Like a Diamond. Um, and there are two versions of it. There's a version by Sia and a version by Rihanna. As an expert in diamond that shines bright, uh, do you have a preference in which uh, version you enjoy the most? <laughs> um, 
Uh, wow, that's a, that's a, it's a, I mean, it's a hard question. I have heard both versions. I think that they are both fantastic. Sia's version is, is sort of hauntingly beautiful, but... I mean, it's just, you can't compete with Rihanna. So uh, that's that's my, yeah, I have to say Rihanna is the answer to that question. Well, this has been wonderful. I have learned a lot and I hope everybody else has as well. So thank you for sharing your research and your time. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of the Sustainable Nano Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to Zach Jones and Paige Kinsley for doing this interview. It just appeared in my email one day without my even asking for it, which is the best. The interview for this episode was edited by Emma Bublitz, and our music is by PC3 and Dexter Britton. This podcast is produced by the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which is funded by the National Science Foundation. Our usual disclaimer, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the National Science Foundation. Want more Sustainable Nano? You can subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and the National Science Foundation's Science Zone Radio, or listen to any of our episodes and see show notes at podcast.sustainable-nano.com. We also have a blog with over 300 posts, mostly written by graduate students in the Center for Sustainable Nanotechnology, which you can find at sustainable-nano.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Sustainable Nano, all one word. And coming up here in the latter half of October 2020, you can find us at the online version of the Wisconsin Science Festival. So check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Nano Podcast. And remember, it's always important to appreciate the small things in life.